would to 1 John chapter number 4, verse number 17 tonight. Amen? 1 John chapter number 4, verse number 17. I'm very thankful the Lord's helping my voice. It's not that what it needs to be yet, but it's definitely getting better. And I'm very, very thankful. So if you'll give me a little extra volume tonight, that'll help me. And um, we won't strain the goozle too much. How's that? First John chapter 4, verse 17. You find a place that stand together. I want you to listen carefully what the Bible says. Herein is our love made perfect. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. What a statement he's about to make. Whoa, if this, if this sinks past your ears and finds a place in your heart, it could be life-changing. Because as he is, so are we in this world. What a statement. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And verse 19, let's read that one together. Ready? We love him because he first loved us. Let's go throne of grace and ask God to, to bless the reading of his, of his word. Zeke, how about you praying, buddy? Amen. You'll be seated. Under this series, or thought we've been on several weeks now, on confidence under construction of 1 John, the book of 1 John, when he gets to chapter number 4, he does something right in the middle of this series. He has just taken several verses here and dealt with the issue of understanding love. So, we started with Part one of understanding love, finding it. Love is a personal relationship with God, a productive relationship with God, and a proven relationship with God, verses 7 through 8. Then we said, part two, was heaven's Christmas gift, love manifested in 1 John 4, 9 through 12, a manifestation of love, a measure of love, and a maturity. But tonight, as we move on and understanding this thing of love, and I'll be honest with you, it's perhaps one of the most misunderstood things in our world. Most people uh, think of love too flippantly, too carelessly. But in reality, love's a very powerful, powerful word if it is understood. So tonight we want to talk about a bold love. Would you agree with me tonight we live in the boldest world we've ever lived in? Amen? Very bold world. I love this. A prospective bridegroom was 
extremely nervous and he read his wedding vows and he said, this is just not going to do. He said, the word obey is not written in the vows. His wife, his potential wife left and said, honey, that's okay. It's already written in love on my heart. Amen. The key word in this section is perfect. Now, the word perfect all through the Bible carries the idea of maturity and completeness. It's not, it does not carry the ideal of perfection, but it carries the ideal of maturity and, and completeness. And it has the ideal of always growing, always improving, always getting better. And, and a believer should always grow in grace. But we should also always grow in a love for the God that we serve. Amen? We should always. Second Peter 3.18 tells us that. You say, well, why should we? Well, we should do that because of how much God loves us. John 17.23 says, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Now, uh, one of the most important thoughts about this message tonight is this. Uh, and, and even in our church, and, and no, no bigger than it is, is we have a lot of ministries going on, a lot of different things. And a lot of people, a lot of groups emphasize a lot of different things. Some emphasize holiness, and some emphasize witnessing, and uh, some emphasize uh, missions. I, I know churches that run 50 and support 150 missionaries. And uh, that's okay if that's what you want to do. Uh, but, but the idea though is this. Uh, and I know uh, uh, we have Sunday school and we have a patch club and we have a bus ministry. But one of the greatest, one of the greatest things we have to ever be mindful of is this. Is that if we get fragmented into these ministries without an overlying foundational motive of why we do them, sooner or later, you'll burn out. You'll fizzle out on me. Every single time. Which, which, which leading to singing, which the preaching, which the teaching, whatever. And the underlying foundation of all that we do is this, is a love for God. Bus ministry will fizzle out, will burn out. There'll be enough issues in it to get you sidetracked if you don't love God. But if you love God and you maintain that love for God, that love for God overlaps all the issues that you have to deal with. And we do have to deal with issues. But in the bus ministry, amen. In verse 17 through 19, uh, well, in verse 7, uh, the first seven verses of this chapter, he talks about we're to love one another. And we talked about the last couple of weeks on that, or last time we was in this series. But in verse 17 through 19, he the, the writer seems to take it to a whole different level of seriousness, of commitment. Literally, 
earnestness of it becoming a bold love. So why should we have a bold love? First of all, there's a great meeting coming in the Christian's life. First John four seventeen. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the what's the next three words? What? What? Everybody? That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. There's a day coming in the life of every believer. It's a very serious day. Praise God, it's a very special day. It is the day of our Lord's return. 1 John 2.28 says, And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear... Now notice what He said, when He shall appear. Not maybe, not guess so, not think so. When He shall appear. He's appearing. He's coming. And when He shall appear, we may have confidence. The word, the word confidence there and the word boldness have the same root meaning. Here's what the Lord's saying. Lord's saying, we've never seen, had a privilege of looking on Jesus face to face. But praise God, one day we will. And the Bible says we're to watch for His coming. We're to wait for His coming. Notice, not only is it a day of His return, but it's going to be a day of review. Revelation 22, 12. And behold, I come quickly. How quick is that? Now, all together, all together, look, everybody look this way at me now for just a moment. All together, blink. Did everybody blink? Okay, he's already come. He come in the middle of your blink. That's how quickly he's going to come. I've talked to a few foolish people. They have said, well, preacher, I'm just going to wait till he gets ready to come. When I think he's a coming, I'll get saved. I said, sir, you ain't got the time. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, Lord, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 5.10, now you just take this to the bank, and we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. That seat he's talking about there is called the judgment seat or the bema seat. It was when the athletes would come in, the bema seat was really twofold. It was when the athletes would, would, would win, and much like they do today, they put them up on a, a, a podium, and they would put a, a wreath of flowers on their head, noting they were the winner. But the beam of seed had something else to do. It is when the warriors would go out to war, and when they would come back into the city, they would dismount on their horse, and they would walk up, and they would be rewarded, and it was called the beam of seed. Our Lord's a coming. Our Lord's going to return. Our life 
works, motives will be reviewed. Sometimes down here, and the Bible says, Be not weary in well doing, for in due seasons you'll reap if you faint not. We're down here sometimes, it gets a little weary. Amen? Now, if you're doing anything for God, it gets a little weary. Sometimes. Sometimes it gets a little weary. Now, we can be honest, it's Wednesday night. Nobody here but us. Sometimes it gets a little bit weary reading your Bible. Sometimes it gets a little bit weary praying. Sometimes it's even a little bit weary coming to church. But we do it anyway. Amen? And here's why we do it. Payday ain't got here yet. How many likes payday? Hallelujah. Praise God for payday. Payday ain't got here for the Christian yet. I know God blesses us. I know God helps us. I know God provides for us. But hallelujah, what a blessed day it's going to be. When God rewards, He reviews your life. He sees every time you pray, every visit you made, every call you made, every time you bow your head and pray for it. He keeps a perfect, perfect record. I'm amazed. And all oh, we've been blessed with God in His church that do things that nobody never knows they do it. There's two ways, two or three ways you can give. There is, of course, tithe. That's God's part. There's an offering. My understanding, offering was always public. Or, or it could be public, but most of the time it's public. But there's another way. That's called alms. Baptist churches don't talk about it much because Baptists get unnerved when you start talking about money. This is for our new members. I told our church 20 years ago, I'll never be afraid to talk about money. Amen? Because the only one that gets unnerved is thieves. Nobody else gets bothered with it. But I said, there's alms. And alms is that what you do that nobody knows. It's not in secret. God says, I'll reward you openly one day. See, I got this idea, and I could be wrong. I think sometimes you and I, we look and say, well, you know, boy, that's a, boy, that's a person, that's a good person. They, they've really given and given and given. We get to heaven. You're going to look up the line. You're going to see an old saint of God. I find the front of the line. You're going to say, well, God, how'd they get up there? And God's going to say, I, let me just put on display. Why they 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 done more than you'll ever and, and, and they they done this and they done that and God's rewarding them openly. May I say this, you know why we never have a bold love? Because of a great meeting that's coming to every one of us. Number two, we all have a great motive for the Christian life. Bobby's class was having an English lesson. And a teacher called on Bobby to recite a sentence with a direct object. Bobby stood, thought, and then said, Teacher, everybody thinks you're beautiful. Why, thank you, Bobby, the teacher said. But what is the direct object? He replied, a good report card next month. Amen? (laughs) We have a motive in all we do. Someone has said that a person always has two reasons for what they do. A good one and the real one. Amen. In light, in light of the day of judgment, 
John gives us a good and a real one. First, he describes two conditions. Again, in 1 John 2.28, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence. 1 John 4.17, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness, one the same word. Here's the idea. It is when we meet the Lord that we can look. The ideal is being able to look at Him face to face and not be ashamed. It is to be able to look eyeball to eyeball with a person. Don't tell her I told you this. But Darlene, bless her heart, she has a one issue, and I've spent thirty I've spent almost forty years, I've never got her a break from it. Is she won't she she'll shut her eyes when she talks to somebody. I say, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Now she don't shut her eyes with me. I, I don't know why but she when she's talking, you know, she and I said, open your eyes. She said, Well, I said, because it, it, it has the idea you're being deceptive. Here's what God's saying. God's saying, in the day of that great judgment, He said, I want to be able to stand and look at my Lord face to face with a confident heart. I don't want to have to look down. I don't want to have to be ashamed. I don't want to have to look down because... I, I, I don't want to blush because I'm not done right, being right. First John four eighteen. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Verse eighteen. He's talking about fear here. That word fear means to be alarmed, terrorized. Instead of boldly standing before the Lord, they shrink back and bear it. And tormented because the ideal is they're ashamed. So not only first can we meet with a confident heart, but we can meet the Lord with a condemning heart. And he says, Y'all not do that. Oh, 1877 evangelist A.G. Uh, Upham preached on the subject, Stars for the Crown. This was preached in 1877. In the message, he told of a true story of a young man who a month after being saved was fatally injured in an accident. But just before he died, one of his friends asked him if he's afraid to die. And he replied, Friend, I'm not afraid to die because Jesus saved me. But I've not been able to lead one person to Christ in the time that I've known him. No, I'm not afraid to die. But oh, 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 I'm afraid I must go empty-handed. C.C. Luther was so moved by the story. And sitting there in the service, he jotted down the lines that became the great hymn. Must I go and empty-handed? Must I go in empty-handed, thus my dear Redeemer meet. Not one day of service give him, lay no trophy at 
ask a question tonight. Everybody look this way. Look this way. Have you led at least one person to Jesus in your lifetime? Every person ought to have just... It, I, I know not everybody... Not everybody's got a big mouth like I have and talk. Not everybody's got the gift that, that somehow brother, brother Billy Goodman's got a, a powerful, powerful gift. I, has he, have you ever met a stranger? Never? I've, seen, I've been with him visiting. I mean, he's, he's great. He talked to anybody. So you may not have that. But I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever led anyone? I know we can't save. I understand that. I know we cannot. I know that you and I don't have the power to only Jesus saves. Amen? Yeah. If you and I saved them doing a mess, get them unsaved so Jesus can save. No, we, we can't save. But every person, if it is nothing more and you take a gospel track we have back here and say, listen, let me just let me just read to you on the back of my church my church track. Let me just read this to you. And if you do what this thing here says, God is saved. You know what? Faith coming by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Every person, every person, every person ought to have at least one there that comes up and says, I want to just take a moment and thank you for telling me about Jesus. I'm here today because of you. And then I just praise God. I just praise God all day. I'm, don't, don't, don't boo this out. For God's sake, don't boo this out. If you can't do it, you call me. I'll come anywhere, any place, anytime. I have done it before, I'll do it again. No, no issue. But oh, what a blessing it is. When a son can say, how'd I be saved? And daddy can say, or mama can say, let's go get our Bible and sit down. Amen. That ought to be something that every person, every daddy can do. Or every mama. Unless like my grandchildren, I wouldn't live to the Lord. And they said, no, I'll grandma do it. Amen? <laughs> and she did. I'm thrilled. Two possible conditions. A covenant heart or a condemning heart. Number two, two particular causes. John had been talking about loving one another. He's not changed. He's still on the subject. And the two possible conditions we can stand before the Lord are determined by the two particular causes. How we love one another or how we not love one another. Verse 17, herein is love made perfect, matured. Perfect means to complete. Has the idea of accomplishing, bring to an intended, an intended end, finish, if you will. This love that's been experienced in chapter 4, verse 7, is to be expanded in chapter 4, verse 12, and expressed in chapter 4, verse 16 in our life. Let me give you that again. Are you ready? This love that has been experienced in verse number 7. Beloved, let us love, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth 
Word of God and knoweth God is to be expanded in verse number 12. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us as love perfected in us and expressed in verse 16. And we have known and believed that the love that God has sent us, God is love and he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. This love, he said, is to be given. Have we loved one another? It's not a love of words, but of works. It's not what is said, but what is shown. It's not what we declare, but what we do. It is a, a fleshing out of love of God that God has put in us. It is love in shoe leather and a ministry of love expressed in a care for someone else. First John 14, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Now, if love is intended growth in our life, it'll keep us standing before God to say, I need your love to be able to love others. Do you understand when I make this statement, not everybody's easy to love? Have you ever met anybody that was not easy to love? I know a few, amen. Some are not easy to love. There are some folks that are very difficult to love. And what it does, God says, you stand before me, and if you love me, I'll give you the love you need to love them properly. So there's a great meaning in the Christian life. Their judgment. There's a great motive for the Christian life because we'll either stand, uh, because we love one another. Amen. And then the great model of the Christian life. Here's where it brings it all down. Someone said, Well, why should I do that? You know, so and so, they're just not lovable. As a matter of fact, that, that husband I got, he's hard to love. He's arrogant and hateful and mean. I just can't love him. God says, I got a model I want you to go by. Somebody says, but why wow, she's hard to love? I can't love her. She just, this person I work with is so hard to love. God says, here's the model. Now I'm thankful that the model is not going to find, be found here. That's not the model. The model is found here. Here's what he says. We love Him because... Watch the next three words. We love Him because He first loved us. Can I ask you a question? Please don't answer it publicly. Was you lovable when he found you? Some of you were drunks. Some of you were dope addicts. Some of you cussed like a sailor. Some of you were thieves. Some of you were just mean as the devil. And guess what? He loved you. 
He loved you. Some of you were as far from the thought of being lovable as anything in the world. I'm going to blow your mind now. Are you listening? Jesus loved an Al Capone. Jesus loved the greatest murderers, rapists. Jesus loved the whole crowd. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He first loved us. So He comes, and here's what He said. He said, it's a love to be imitated. Here's what He's saying. I must be honest with you. This is a little bit tough. Here's what He said. He said, I want you to love others the way I've loved you. And that is, I loved you first. So I want you to love them first. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. This statement. Because as He is, so are we in this world. The ultimate goal of the Holy Spirit of God is to conform us in the image of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among brethren. The word conformed speaks of being jointly formed or fashioned like unto. Here's what he's just saying. Here's what he's just saying. We know that all things work together for them that, call, that love God to them who are called according to his purpose. He's simply saying this. He said, I'm your model. Put Jesus his love and loving you first right beside of all the loving you do. He said, that's the model. Not each other. As long as we're robed in these, in these fleshly bodies of flesh, our love will always be tainted. Always. It will always be Inferior. It will always not, not, not ever be totally what it should be. Praise God one day that's going to change. Amen. This corruption put on incorruption is more put on immortality. And one day we'll be able to love just exactly like Jesus loves. But until then, the model, the model is Him. He says, because He first loved you. He's the one we're to imitate. I love this. His, his mother was fixing breakfast for her sons and they began fighting over, over the last pancake. And the mother saw an opportunity to teach them a spiritual lesson. She said to them, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the last pancake. Older, turn, older son turned to his younger brother and said, you beat Jesus this morning. Amen? That's our love. That's our love. Someone's written, Christ has no hands but our hands to do His work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men in His way. He has no tongue but our tongues to tell men how He died. He has no help but our help to bring them to His side. We are the only Bible the careless world will read 
We are the sinner's gospel. We are the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message, given indeed in word. What if the top is crooked? What if the print is blurred? What if our hands are busy with other work than His? What if our feet are walking where sin's allurement is? What if our tongues are speaking of things His lips would spurn? How can we hope to help them and others to Him turn? As He is, so are we in this world. It is a love that is to be imitated. But then it's something else. It's a love that is to be inspired. His love for us ought to inspire us to love others. His love. His love. Where did He find you? He found me at a, on a church pew one Sunday at Ockers Grove Baptist Church. Paul Robinson was preaching on the prodigal son. I mean, he's a letting her rip. I said, preach on, preacher. That's not me. That's not me. And yet, right in the middle of the message, he started talking about the son that stayed at home. Done everything God wanted him to do. I said, oh my goodness, that's me. And that day, how he's as lost as the prodigal. I want you to listen to me tonight. And can I just take you about two, three minutes here just share my heart? I'm almost glad. I'm almost glad tonight. I'm sorry she's sick. But I'm almost glad that Miss Libby's not here. I really am. Because this has been on my heart all day long. We play around too much with life. We play around too much selfishly. We play around too much spending this precious gift called life on getting more toys and more stuff and, and more and more and more. Some of you may not even know this, but about, what, three months before Michael passed away, there's a little piece of land beside my house. He wanted to clear it off. And I let him. Just amazing. And, uh, and then, every day I drive up, he's gone. Every day. And Miss Libby's own testimony was this. For the last year, it's all been about the family. What about the other 56 years? Now, Matthew, I love you, son. Don't get sideways with me, all right? Because I'll have to hire somebody to whoop you. Amen. Because whooped him years ago, but not now. I can't outrun him. He's got them real long legs. <laughs> Don't get sideways with me. I love you and love you, Dad. What about, what about the 56 years? You say, why are you doing this, preacher? I'm doing this because we've got so many others in this church who are living for yourself. Live a very selfish life. For every trick and toy you, you can get. I'm trying to love you enough to tell you that 
God just may not allow to get tired of you doing that. As I just slip you out of here. And I believe Michael's in heaven. I believe Michael got saved. He's in heaven. And I praise God for that. And I'm not trying to try to dictate you any of God's business. But I'm just simply being just as good and honest and straight as I can be. He lived a long life for just himself. Really did. And I'm telling you, we take this thing too 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 lightly, too carelessly. We're too flippant with it. We're too we're too careless with it. And God's not. God's not careless with a bit of it. And when God comes and says, My, the way I've loved you ought to inspire you, God means that. When God says you ought to love me because I love you, it ought to inspire us. It ought to inspire us. It ought to inspire us to get this thing of loving God right down. Amen. A poor boy dressed, trudged several miles through the snowy streets of Chicago, determined to attend a Bible class conducted by D.L. Moody. When he arrived, he was asked, Why did you come to Sunday school so far off? Why didn't you go to one of the churches near your home? He answered simply, Because you love a fellow over there. Because you love a fellow over there. Does the world see the love of Christ in us? That's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, and every